So um, up to this point, every, every Sunday, I've been doing my best to try to up, kind of update you if you're new as to where we are. And I felt like that video, um, finding it before we started the Sermon on the Mount, uh, was really helpful in getting us there. And so I want to add on to that because that's given us a lot of background already. Because if you're, you're new, um, that word fulfilling the law still might be a, a little odd because um, when you think of a good person or you think of righteousness, you think of very tangible things, things that you can do. And so um, there's the part in verse 20 of what we read last week where Jesus says he has fulfilled the law and you are thinking uh, through labor force or you are thinking the same way that a worker can fill a quota that that's how Jesus fulfilled the law. He, he in, in righteousness, has done all the right things. And it's not that way. Um, and, and you've really got to be able to turn your mind away from that way of thinking, that, that righteousness is doing a bunch of things. Because the reality is, um, it's way closer to, and the example I gave last week is... Um, fulfilling the purpose of. So the example I gave was, was uh, when we learn music. If you've ever learned music, you learn these scales. And you're not learning, you're not playing any music essentially at that point, but you're learning how to play music. So when you learn these scales, it feels rough and, and difficult, but eventually you fulfill those scales by playing music rightly. I mean, if you've ever learned a new language, you've seen this the same way. I remember um, uh, going through all my Greek courses and, and having to memorize hundreds of paradigms, right? The way that certain words end and, and, and you learn these paradigms, you learn these paradigms and they're nauseating and numbing, right? And you, you learn them so that you can properly speak this language. You know how to speak that language. You fulfill the role of the paradigms. That's what you're doing. And so we've got to think through that and how this works because us fulfilling a quota of righteousness is not biblical. It's not biblical. But, but we, we, we think like that naturally, and so we've got to learn how to, to push ourselves away from that thinking because maybe you're new or um, uh, maybe you're not a Christian in here, um, and, and you have that quota, right? Because you make statements like, I'm a good person. I'm not a terrible person. And the reality is you're comparing yourself to Trump and Hillary. Well, everyone's a good person up to that point, right? And so the reality is as you, you, you set this standard, which is usually based on what you have set, you fulfill that role of righteousness. And Jesus isn't coming on the scene going, well, he fulfilled the, the role of God's righteousness, though that's actually ironically true. That's not what he's saying in Matthew 5. What he is saying is the purpose behind righteousness or what righteousness truly is is there. Matter of fact, he says in Romans 5.20, or I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 5.20, that verse I just quoted, he says, unless your righteousness goes beyond, okay, and then he's going to say goes beyond the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, so unless your righteousness is more, is better than the current religious figures of our day, you'll never make it in, man. You'll never make it in. And so what you hear is, then I, I better do more. I better give more. I better volunteer more. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. He is saying completely different ways of addressing the term righteousness. And so that's what I want to get in because here's the reality. Um, that idea of righteousness has seeped in to the church. That, that idea of coming to God is, is demonic and detrimental to our relationship with God. And it has seeped into the church. And, and I, I've tried to use my best um, uh, personal uh, examples, which I, I want to share and, and show you where some of those come from. Because um, if you grew up in church, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, just like there is a, a, a 
in someone's mind, a right person. Within the church, there are all these unwritten rules if you grew up in church. Certain things you can and cannot do. And as long as you abide by those things, you're okay. Now, I came in to Christianity and to the church as a teenager, right? So I didn't know these rules. So I learned very quickly how to play the game. I learned how to play the game, and, and, I, and I, I've used these examples before, but I want you to know how I learned how to play these games so, so you know I'm not just talking like ethereally, like, like, oh, it's just out there. Yeah, we have church rules. No, these are very real examples that I experienced. Um, so I remember getting saved and loving me some Tupac and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, Biggie, right? And those were one of the first things that I didn't know we weren't allowed to listen to Tupac. And, and Candace didn't know she wasn't allowed to listen to Goo Goo Dolls, which, for the love of God, sh- please stop. And so now... So, so, so we have, we had these, these unwritten rules about, but, but there was an approved kind of unwritten list. Anybody who, who listens to Casting Crowns was okay, and Hillsong was okay, and if you were rebellious, you did some switchfoot maybe, and so there was kind of this, there was kind of this unwritten rule, and so we would bring our Tupac CDs, and we'd make a collage of the face of Jesus because he died for those sins, right? And so this is what we, we, we've built into. Obviously, um, there's no smoking, clearly. I mean, no smoking at all. Um, and I, I don't even know if I have an example per se, because the reality is anybody who was smoking was always just automatically kind of an outsider, right? And, and this, is, this is insane. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't smoke, but we have unwritten rules. No drinking, Obviously, is another one. I remember uh, one year, I was probably 22 years old. We had played in a softball league. It was just some church guys. We joined a softball league, and we won the championship. And one of the guys who had just become a believer, he'd been a believer for like three months, um, said, uh, oh, man, that was a great game. That deserves a beer, okay? He was asked to no longer play softball on the team anymore. He didn't even drink a beer. He just said it deserves a beer, okay? And I don't drink, but I'm like, you're right. This does deserve a beer, Okay? And so there are these rules that, that, that we set, but, but I'm not done. Um, uh, another huge one, that example that I give all the time is this rated R movie thing, right? Um, we've set a standard that, that, that you can't watch these certain types of movies. So I remember watching the movie Blow with Johnny Depp and telling uh, my pastor about that. And I was just scolded for like two hours as to why it was wrong for me to watch that movie. Now, now hear me, I'll get into maybe it is, but regardless, I didn't know the rules, I didn't know that we weren't allowed to watch those. Um, uh, Harry Potter is one that I've given a lot of time because when I was a youth pastor, I remember watching a 14-year-old girl sit down as another pastor for at least an hour, tried to convince her by watching Harry Potter she was allowing demons into her life, okay? This was an unwritten rule that she didn't know, okay? Now, I think Harry Potter's dumb and I don't want to watch it, but I don't think that you will get demons into your life by watching it. My wife loves it. She loves demons. I don't know. It's weird. Okay? That 14-year-old girl was my wife. No. Um, no, no. Well, that wouldn't make sense because I was the youth pastor at the time. Never mind. Let's pretend that joke's not there. Um, my, my, my point is this. There was this kind of unwritten rule, right, to, to all of that. The last one is, is hilarious to me. It's always the language thing, right? We can say frick, darn it, uh, cheese and rice, but we could never, we could never know the origins or the, the, those are how their euphemisms, the, the, uh, where those euphemisms come from. We, we wouldn't even dare think those words, but I, I'm coming in as a teenager not knowing those rules, right? So there is a level of right and wrong that we have brought into the church to fulfill righteousness that just isn't biblical. It just isn't biblical. And so, so what, what slowly began to happen is other people's convictions on certain things began to be imposed on me and my friends. And, and we, we played the game and we learned how to play it out, but, but here's what happened. Slowly but surely, I, I started to realize, like, I don't like this. 
I don't like this. I don't like that. I have to. I have to. And, and there started to feel this disconnect, honestly, between the way that I viewed the God of the Bible, the way that I was reading about him and, and how good Jesus was, and, and these rules and, and, and things that I, I didn't even feel convictions about, right? And so when I'm having to get rid of my MXPX CDs, I'm really bummed out because I'm thinking, I like MXPX. Why do I have to get rid of MXPX? But I know how to play the game, so I, so I do it because that's what leads to righteousness. That's not what fulfills righteousness. That is not righteousness. For you and I to boil down our love for God based on making a collage of secular CDs of Jesus' face is not righteousness. Us boiling down our relationship with God with doing things is not righteousness. Now check it out. As this, this kind of went on, there was a moment where things kind of just began to, to click within me. Um, and here's what I found. When I really discovered the beauty of the gospel, because I would say I, I was still saved up to this point, but really lost in legalism. When I really discovered the beauty of the gospel and the freeing nature in which Jesus gives us, I drove harder into those things than I did originally. Meaning, so let me give you an example. Um, I'm on staff, and every Monday morning there was prayer for an hour, and it was hell, okay? Um, it was go there, they're playing soft music, you're just trying trying not to fall asleep. And some people do, right? And so my job at one point was to go around and um, uh, these disciple things, we had something called Master's Commission, where I'd have to wake up these these guys and they would go, I'm not sleeping, right? Like, and I'm going, no, 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 go to sleep. It's okay, I I won't say anything, okay? Um, I wish I was you right now, okay? No, but but the reality is like, he he, he doesn't want to be, so there's this you need to be there and you need to pray. But, but what I found when, when I stopped leaning into have-tos and got away from that legalism, and I know this sounds so cliche for me to say as a pastor, an hour really wasn't enough. Like there was something about the freeing nature when I knew I can come to God, not because I had to, but check this out. I was already accepted. I was already adopted. I was already in based on what Jesus had done. That, I'm not kidding, even now gives me goosebumps. It, it, it did something in my heart. Love drove me to a place that there's lists, that, that, that list of things I look at and I go, listen, rated R movies are not the issue for me, but there are things within rated R movies that Candace and I will not watch. Now, that's not legalism because I'm already accepted. And because I'm accepted, I want to grow towards what Jesus has already made me. And so I've decided discerning, this is Ephesians 5, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord there are certain things that, that I don't want to watch, and it's in that movie. Whether it's rated R, PG-13, or PG, there are things that I feel like can, can be detrimental. And hear me, I drive hard into those things. Love compelled me to drive hard into those things. And this is exactly what's going on within these commands that we're going to read this morning. But the, the passage that we can, we can miss if we try to make uh, following Jesus about doing things is not the point. And I usually don't have a sermon title, but if I did this morning, that would be the sermon title. You're missing the point. That's not the point. You having perfect church attendance, you not watching Harry Potter, you not reading Harry Potter, you not listening to Tupac, that's not the point. Because I've shared with you before, there's a point when I was 17 years old that I, I very much felt led not to listen to R. Kelly anymore, right? Um, now, R. Kelly, he's crazy, but the reality is I liked R. Kelly at the time, but I knew, like, listening to all the language, if you've ever listened to R. Kelly, and I don't mean bad language, I mean just everything is about sex with R. Kelly. So I remember listening to that going, I can't listen to this anymore. It's messing with me. 
It's, it's on, and I'm fighting to struggle not to sleep with my future wife at the time, and this just isn't helpful. But it's because I was accepted that I walked into that freedom, right? And so, so this, is, this is, according to James 2, there's a law of liberty. Think of the, the conundrum that you're in. There's this law that binds you, but it's freeing, liberty, freedom. And so there's a beauty to that. So we're in a, a, a Matthew 5. Here's, here's what I'm going to say as we go into this, because there's two things I want you to know um, a, as we read this. First is how it reads, and then the second thing, just reminding you of, of the purpose of that, because um, right now, Candace and I are growing, a, uh, we just spent some money uh, on, on more fruit trees. We feel like we want our entire property, our yard, which you don't have a property, but we want our yard everywhere to like be filled with fruit trees. We want to live off the land. It's legit. Um, but here's what's crazy. I, I get really frustrated because it's good for me and yet bad for me because I'm not patient with these trees. I'm buying 15-gallon trees, and I expect them at this point. I've had them for two weeks. Why are they not 20 feet tall? Why, why? And so it would be foolish of me to go out to my pear tree um, and take the pears that we bought from Fry's and, and tie a string to them and tie them onto the tree. That, 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 would, be, that would be dumb, Right? That, that, you, you would go, why are you doing that? that? That makes no sense. But here's what we're doing. We're, we're just putting fake fruit on these trees. And I'm trying to sell you over and over, listen to me. If you are here and you want to call this place your home, all I can say to you is the same thing I've said over and over. Be everything but a liar, man. Be everything but a liar. You are messed up. And you trying to pretend you're not is you lying. That is not freedom. That's legalism. That's uh, um, um, externally opposed righteousness, and it's not biblical. So as we come to these things, uh, Jesus is going to get at the heart, just like the video showed us. So the two things that I want to lay out is you're going to see as you look at these texts, the first one is you're going to see you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said. What Jesus is going to do right after he says what you have heard it said is that he's going to say, but I say to you, and this is in all six sections that we're going to read. Um, Now, what he's doing is he's, he's, there are um, religious leaders who are sitting in quote unquote, the seat of Moses who take the law, which there is an unwritten law um, that has a fancy Hebrew name and, and they, they take the law and they, they present it to the people. And so he's quoting them. Now, sometimes he's just quoting the law verbatim. Sometimes he's quoting what they say about the law, but his point is let's get behind that. Let's get behind why certain people didn't want us to listen to secondary music, because that would have been a better place to start. Like, what, here's why I don't want you to listen to Tupac, right? So, so there's something behind that, and it would have been good to know what's going on. And maybe then I, I go, well, I don't see that, and I disagree, but at least I understand the why. And so Jesus is getting at that why. So he's going to say, here's what you've heard from these religious leaders, but here is what I say to you. And again, he's not juxtaposing the two. He's not saying, well, this is what it said, that's wrong, here's what I'm saying. He's saying, this is what it says, but this is what it means. And that, that's a big thing. Now, the second thing with this, I need to remind you, and if, again, if you're not a Christian in here, this might not make sense, is here's the reality. When he does this, he's showing us, I don't know, how, I feel like I've said it a million times, he's showing us how to be human again. So, so the things that we're going to read may feel like he's upping the standard in such a way that they're impossible, but, but that's actually not true. That's actually not true. He, he's showing you that to play this out, though it's so unnatural, is actually the way that you were created. This is the way that you were created to act. 
And so that's, that what, we're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to read these things, get at this. I hope in some ways you can uh, understand that the core of this is that the, the people in his context are religious people and they're missing the point. And Jesus wants them and us in this moment to get the points. Now, I'm going to read this. I keep saying I'm going to, but I'm going to read this. We're not going to be able to go as deep as you want to go. I, and I, I apologize for that. But um, for us to see the forest, as cliche as it is, for us to see the forest, um, we're not going to be able to look at the trees as much as we want, but there are certain parts of this passage that we have spent entire Sundays on, and you can look in our sermon archives on our website to see some of those things. So here's the first one that we're, uh, they're missing the point. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Um, that last line, right? So here's, here's where we start. The first thing Jesus is going to go is, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. And that's a good thing, right? No one's going, yeah, okay, yeah, let, let's go out and murder. Jesus is going, now that's a good start. You didn't kill anyone today, but here, here, here's the reality. If you have um, a, a burning hatred, an anger towards your brother or sister, um, that's still an issue. That's still a problem. So much so that, listen to the last line. I mean, how um, crazy is that, that he, would, he would lay this out? Um, he says, you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Um, there, there's something that we, we read and we go, we're still missing the, the point. If we go... I didn't kill anyone today. Oh, Jesus, you're saying I can't even be angry and yell or call someone a fool? Fine. I didn't do that today. Oh, okay, so now, and, and so I didn't do this. You're still missing the point. The point isn't to roll back the scroll to a harder place to now you can't even be angry or now you can't even say something against them. That's not the point. The point is you missing the point and them missing the point. The point is that Jesus has changed your heart. So it's no longer you can't, but literally, if you trust in me, you won't. You, you, you won't. I'll change your heart in such a way that when your knee-jerk reaction, your, your flinch is to get angry, I'm telling you what the gospel does is it reminds you exactly what that person is doing to you, you do to me all the time. That's the beauty of Jesus on the cross. Now he goes on to say this, which feels like he continues to up the standard in verse 23. But these are repercussions of us living this out. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your ancestor, or with your accuser, sorry. Well, maybe for some of you, your ancestor. Your accuser, while you are going with him to courts, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So I want you to look at the, the last command there, uh, or before the paying of the command, because he's going to continue to go at this hellfire, so on and so forth. But, but what I love is as he, he paints this image of this guy coming to the altar and he's ready to make a sacrifice. And then he goes, oh no, I've got something against my brother. My brother has something against me. So stop, don't make that sacrifice and, and turn around and go, go make peace with that brother or sister. And, and for us, we think, well, that, that's pretty easy. But what's crazy is in this context, sacrifices can only be made in Jerusalem. So people have literally walked for four or five, six, seven days they get to the altar and they go, oh man. And now they've got to walk back. Jesus is going, this is a big deal. So much so, listen to how he connects this. Our relationship with each other immediately is a repercussion of how we view God. And you see this, and, and unfortunately, I, 
commentators didn't mention this, but this, I felt like this popped off the page when I read it. Right after Genesis 3, right after the garden, and you see all the sin, the very first sin that is mentioned in the Bible after the fall of the world is a brother being angry at another brother over a sacrifice. And, and I think this is poetic what Jesus is doing. Here's Cain kills Abel because of an issue with a sacrifice. And this is what, what, what Jesus is bringing up. You have this issue, turn back and fix it. So the point is not, um, if you do that, you're cool. No, listen to me. I've given you the ability to, to know what it's like to drive so hard into, even if you've walked days and you, you have a, 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 an issue with your brother or sister, in that moment, hear me, I've given you the power to live this out. You can fulfill the law. You can live up to this righteousness, I promise. And I know that sounds crazy, but, but we're not done because we got five more. Let's continue on. These next two are way more easy. Um, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go uh, into hell. Again, he's bringing up this hell idea, right? So even if you try to live this out in the wrong way, you're still going to end up in the same place. And this one's a little simpler, isn't it? So we, you, me, maybe, hopefully, um, a, a, as let's say, just let's talk to the men for a second. You didn't cheat on your wife today. Good job. Okay. You, you did it today. That's great. Okay. But what you didn't do um, is fulfill the law in, in though you, you didn't cheat on your wife. Here's the problem. You still wanted to. And the purpose of the law was to get at the heart. And what Jesus is fulfilling is saying, listen, I can actually change that. I can actually change that. So being a citizen of the kingdom of God, I can get at that issue. And I know it sounds so crazy, but I can get at that issue. You can care about this issue so much that you're willing to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand because I would rather do those things than not sin against you. I'm coming after your heart is what Jesus tells us. He's not done. Let's get at divorce. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, uh, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If you were here for the, when we went through the entire book of the Gospel of Mark, we talked about adultery. And here's what's amazing to me with the adultery conversation. Because I feel like the divorce one gets at the issue more than all the other six, and, 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 or the other five. Here's why. Um, when I was done preaching that sermon, the next week, or maybe even month, I had conversations about what was okay. So, so here's, here, we want those lines. We want those parameters. So, so it was a man who left his wife and was it okay? Because now she's not a believer and, and, and now I'm married to this person. What, what and we want those parameters, right? Or, or I feel like I want to divorce my husband. He's not a believer or, or, or I want to divorce my husband because he's, uh, he's texting someone else and he may not be physically committing adultery, but, but I just read that he's in his heart committing adultery. So, so that's enough, right? And here's the issue with all of that. You're missing the point. God has reconciled you in a sense of a covenant in this moment to symbolize the beauty of a never-ending love after you. So hear me, when we talk about divorce, the point is not what ways we can step around so eventually I can get my goal. The point is, how hard can I drive to stay with that person? Love 
forces me. It compels me to go, I don't care. I don't care what she has said. I don't care what she has done. I don't care who she has slept with. I'm not going anywhere. That is what love does. That fulfills the laws. And to them, all they've got to think is get this certificate, this paper. Here's what she did. Here's why she did it. And it was real easy, but you're missing the point. And, and listen, hear me. There's, you even hear the caveat at the end of that, that part, don't you? Well, if she commits adultery or if he commits adultery, you're looking for a way to be out. And the gospel of the kingdom of God is always in the other direction. And he will give you power to do that. He will. He will. Not done. The fourth one. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. There's this nether like line in the sand, anything else. Now, we probably read this one and we're finally like, okay, one out of six isn't bad. Because the reality is a lot of us aren't really making, like we're not swearing on anything. We're not, we're not, we're not doing oaths for the most part, right? Unless it's like with iTunes or something like that. We're not really performing this oath that we have to agree upon. Um, and and I, I've told you up to this point, I've been reading uh, a book called The Divine Conspiracy by a guy named Dallas Willard. And uh, he, he gives a great quote and it's kind of long. I don't have it on the screen for you, but just listen to what he's saying by what's going on here. Because here's the reality. Um, if you can, imagine yourself, uh, you have a bunch of goats in old Jerusalem, right? And you have a bunch of goats and your neighbor has a bunch of goats and you've got 20 goats and, and your neighbor has 20 goats and you're kind of like, well, look, we have the same amount of goats and you kind of want more. And you wake up the next day and you have 21 goats and he has 19 goats. So you go to the Jerusalem council and, and, and this guy comes out and he goes, dude, he stole one of my goats. And the guy's going, no, I didn't steal one of his goats. He goes, yes, I saw him steal one of the goats, and what he does in that moment, he begins to swear on something more than what he is. I, I swear upon God, I swear on Jerusalem, the gold of the temple was a big one. I swear on heaven and earth, I swear, I swear. And he didn't see him, but he, he truly believes this is what it is, and he wants his way. And so this guy's sitting there going, no, my, one of, one of uh, my calves here gave birth to a calf, and now I, I have 21 goats. I didn't take one of your goats. And then what would happen is um, one of the brothers of this guy would come up and go, hey, dude, I forgot to tell you I borrowed one of your goats, okay? And so he's been swearing just to get his point because he truly believes his way is the right way, what it is, and Jesus is going, you're missing it. And this is what Dallas Willard says on that. The fourth point, uh, the fourth thing in in which uh, Jesus is laying out here after anger, lust, divorce, and now oaths. The fourth point concerns the practice of giving oaths or swearing by something of importance, especially God himself, in order to lend weight to a statement one is making. Thus, even today, you, you hear people say, I swear by all that is holy. For example, we say, by God, or we, we put our hand on a Bible in courtrooms, and so forth. But Jesus goes right to the heart of why people swear oaths. They want their hearers to accept what they say and do what they want. So they say, by God or God knows to lend weight to their words and their presence. The essence of swearing or making oaths is to try to use something that through, uh, through imp- uh, though impressive, is irrelevant to the issue at hand to get others to believe you and let you have your way. This is wrong. 
Swearing is then a version of what is called a song and a dance. This is very common in people today who are trying to sell you something or figuratively um, in politics. Many people make a good living doing nothing but uttering in attractive, coercive ways yeses and are not really yeses that are not really yeses at all and no's that are not really no's at all. Now hear this last line. In social and political context today, we now call this spin. Spin. So, um, If you go onto Netflix right now and you go under documentaries, about 90% of them are food documentaries. You notice that? Maybe it's just my wife points out all of them, but there are all these food documentaries. Why? Because we as a culture look at these big companies and we go, you tell me this is good for me. It's it's fat-free. But here's what I know is really happening. And though it is fat-free, you've put so much sugar in it, it's actually worse for me. And so, so what you've done is, you spun it. You, you have something you want to be communicated. You have something you want to go your way. And so you, you spin it. And so this is the, the equivalent. When we swear by certain things, this, I see this in my kids all the time. No, 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 I promise. I swear, I promise. Stop. It, do, do I not believe you? Can your yes not be yes and your no by, not be no? And this is Jesus. This is, man, you need to keep this simple within the kingdom of God. Do away with the spin. What is it? Tell us what it is. It's more than just not lying, right? Because saying it's fat-free is true, but it's spin. Stop with the spin. So he goes on. We're not done. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist. And that word resist is stand up against or fight back against the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him Uh, the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is, again, one of those simple ones like the divorce and lust thing. It's an obvious thing, right? It's a win. If someone comes up against you and punches in your face and, 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 and you're, you're to love your, your friends, but in that moment, if it's your enemy, well, that's an easy one. Knock him out. And Jesus is going, well, here's an easy one or here's a, a harder way. Uh, love your, your friend, but also love your enemy. And then he takes it up a notch, right? And not in a religious, um, obtainable thing, but, but more so to go, hey, um, let me explain something to you. If someone rolls up to you and says, I like that Jordan hoodie, as crazy as this may sound, and, 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 and they, they come and say, I want it, give it to me. And I don't know how often this happened. I remember growing up in, in the hood, that actually happened a couple times to me. I didn't have a Jordan hoodie, but he like wanted, you know, whatever. And so he's like, once a time a, a kid wanted our belt, and he was a high school kid, and we were like in middle school, and I gave him my belt. I'm like, you know, there's like 10 high schoolers. I'm going to lose my life. You can judge me all you want. Um, okay. My point is, if someone comes up to you and goes, I like that Jordan hoodie, give it to me. As Christians, hear me. Because this is pushing against your American bravado. Oh, no one treads on me, right? Now, no, no. Hey, listen, you think you like that hoodie. Dude, I got these kicks. What size are you? What, what size are you? Because I think you would like these as well. Within the kingdom, Jesus is going, I can get you there. I've made you in such a way to remind you that it is far better to look into that man's eyes, maybe see his upbringing, maybe see the pain that he has that he feels like he needs to take but the beauty of the gospel is my, my comfort, my joy is not found in a hoodie and some sneaks. I can get you there. The point is not just doing this because some of us go, well, see, I love my neighbor. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. We've got to get at a heart level with this. Okay, so let's continue on. Last one. Kind of 
piggybacking on what we had just said. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, I quoted that one with this other passage up there. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So let's just keep this super simple, right? Everything I just said up to this point, but there's a, a, a word in here at the beginning of verse 45, two words actually, but it's one word in Greek, this word so that, okay? Now here's what I need you to hear up to this point. He is saying, love your enemies, love your enemies beyond just loving yourself or loving your friends, love your enemies. And in doing so, you reflect your father. Now, I, this is important because now we've made a full circle. Some of us are coming to the table thinking if we love our enemies, then we fulfilled the law. But that's not what's happening here. In verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He, hear this as an example. This is an example for us. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Meaning there are people in this world who hate God. And in that moment, he does not just crush them. And when we do the same, we are resembling our father. We are, we are chip off the old block in that moment because he done it. He has done it. We very much so say, this is how my father has handled it. This is how I handled it because I'm one of his children. So though these people hate God, he still brings them rain. Though these people hate God, he still brings them the sun. Though these people hate God, he still in his common grace gives them the ability to have marriage, to have kids, to have a good life. He still allows him to do these things. And it would be true of us as well. That we, so that we reflect our father, would not respond paying evil, going back to retaliation, with evil. And, and this is huge. Now there's this last line, and that's where we'll finish. Um, it's the capstone of it all. Um, this is what it says in verse 48. You therefore, after all of this, no pressure on this, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, um, I've done my best to make sure that I don't go crazy with the Greek stuff um, when we go through our passages. But the reality is um, there's two words in here that have to be brought up um, on a semantical uh, level when it comes to language. The first one is you must be. Must be is one word. And the word perfect. Must be is interesting because we're reading this passage and we're going, you must be this thing, which is perfection. Um, and we're hearing it like right now. But what's so crazy about this is I, I th- I've shared this from the stage before. When we have tenses in English, our past, present, and future, in Greek there are seven tenses, but there's only one tense that is pretty similar to Greek and English, and it's the future tense. There's this future tense. And this must be is in the future tense. So you must be is in the future tense. And then he uses this word telos, uh, teleos, it's, it's the word for perfect. And it's actually where we get our word telescope from. Because olden telescopes would start from this place and you would open them up in levels. Okay? And, and what Jesus is communicating is you must be what you will be. And this idea of a telescope is a maturing process to get there. So what he's communicating, and this is huge for you, and this is something I've tried to say, but is the beauty of the gospel and all that is in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus has already made you perfect. He's already made you perfect. Now you as a Christian, my brother and sister in Christ in this moment, are learning to be 
what he has made you. Now, some of us are coming to the table with that twisted, right? Some of us are coming to the table basing our relationship with God on us getting there. The, the issue in all of this is, is Hebrews 10, 14. He has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. You are already perfect. And so you look at these six commandments and you go, I could never do them. And Jesus goes, you don't get it. One day you will be doing them. So why don't we practice for now? I've already made you those things. I've already played this out. I fulfilled righteousness. You are that in me. The problem is your flesh don't know it. Your emotions don't know it. Your minds don't know it. Your circumstances don't know it. Your friends sure in the heck don't know it. Heck is a euphemism. Shouldn't have used it. Okay? You, 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 you have all these, you, you do, these people around you don't know it. And here's the reality. You now are being conformed into the image of Christ, which is what you already are. So when you say, I could never be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect. <laughs> you already are. You already are. You're just learning how to get there. You're just learning how to get there. What's, what's great about this is we just brought up a, a bunch of children to play out baby dedication, right? And though we cannot say definitively that they are Christians as babies, we might argue that most of them by their age have not confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. But what we did as a family of God is says we are going to treat you as in the community of faith with the hopes that one day you will make a proclamation. And so it is true that in the same way, God looks at us and says, I need, to, I need to remind you that all these things seem impossible, but you already are these things. So let's practice for now. I hope we can catch this because that's the beauty of the gospel. Anything else is witchcraft according to Genesis 3 or uh, Galatians 3. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for who you are. Thanks for, um, yeah, the beauty of this passage. Uh, we see really phenomenal signs of your kingdom on earth that the world would completely push against everything um, that you have put in front of us with the Sermon on the Mount. The, the world has um, told us the opposite when it comes to lust, the opposite when it comes to retaliation, the opposite when it comes to anger. Um, it's just, it's crazy. And so here's your kingdom seems so unobtainable, and yet that's not what you're trying to tell us. You're not trying to give us a standard we couldn't live up to. You're giving us a standard in which we already are and learning to be, which is very comforting because me getting it right as a dad or a husband is not the point. Um, and our hearts need to be molded into to what you want them to be. That's what we need, Holy Spirit. Help us um, change us. We believe God, but help us in our unbelief. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.